Welcome to another episode of Pat and the Fat Man. We like to talk about movies, sports, and whatever else we feel like. I'm Pat. And I'm the Commissar Penguin Fat Man. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> People, it's getting out of control. I know you guys can't see it because we don't do the video for these, but he's got like a... Is that the Soviet flag or is it the Chinese Communist Party's flag? No, it's the Soviet. It's the Soviet flag? Yeah, the Chinese just have a star. Oh, uh, okay. Well, actually, I think it's... It's the sickle hammer and the stars at the end of the sickle, but yeah. It's a bunch of stars. There's like four or five stars, right? Used to be. Well, no, yeah, no, you're right. That, yeah. That's it. The one with the, like five stars. It's like one big star and then a bunch of stars around it, which I wonder what the story on that one is. It, it should be comforting to our listeners that we don't know exactly the difference between the Chinese one and the USSR. <laughs> I really don't remember the star on top of the sickle and hammer but i do like i think if it was gone i'd be like no there's something else that's supposed to be there so it's probably correct i don't know some of them have the star at the end of the sickle for the ussr some of them don't Mm. Mm -hmm. wonder what that star is supposed to represent and some of them have like the um i guess they're olive branches see that's a better form of communism than i could get behind Non-military communism. <laughs> Still has the sickle and hammer. Well, theoretically, the hammer is for industry and the sickle is for farming, not killing folks. Although they both got used for that by the USSR. The Chinese is one big star and like four on its right side, four smaller stars okay. and a half moon on its right side. I wonder what that all represents. What are all these stars about? Because I know what our stars are about. Right. But I don't know what theirs is about. Anyways, we've now that we've gone on that tangent. <laughs> After the long, hard winter of sports, we are now entering the long, hard winter of... Red Dawn. Red Dawn. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if you did it for dramatic effect or if you really forgot what we were doing. Little column A, little column B. Either way. <laughs> Red Dawn, everybody. Let us march our way into the cold winter months in Colorado. Hard like my father's drinking the other night. So he beat me into submission. The other night, you're a 40 year old man. Your father beat you. I don't want to get into it. Well, why did you bring it up? <laughs> when you did that voice, that made me think of American Dad <laughs> when Sergey moved in across the street <laughs> and was like corrupting Stan's son. Oh, yeah. And then, like, throughout the whole thing, like, you know, as he's corrupting his son, like, to, to build like model rockets for the school competition, like, he, they, he, he <laughs> Sergey's like biting different things. Like, first, it's like the bullet top off, uh, you know, the top of a bullet <laughs> so he can get to the, the gunpowder. And Steve tries it, and his his mouth starts bleeding through his hand. <laughs> and then, and then next is like you know they're they're doing the thing, they're drinking the vodka and and uh, trying to eat the beet, and the beet so hard it makes Steve's mouth bleed. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. What was Rogers doing in that episode? God, what was he? I don't think he was doing anything. Because usually, if Steve's doing something with somebody else, then Rogers got his own adventure going. Maybe that was the one where Francine was making steaks and Roger wanted the duck wine. And the only people that had it were Frank and Terry across the street. No. The, the gay reporters. 
Yeah, yeah. And he was trying to go through all these elaborate things to try to get it. And in the end, Francine just walks over there, slaps both of them. Yeah, takes it. <laughs> and, they, and they're like, oh, my face, my face, your face, your face. <laughs> Uh, and that's how we ended up reviewing several episodes of American Dad instead of Red Dawn you get what you pay for folks anyways last we left our intrepid band of heroes two of them had died one of them the colonel and the other Aardvark, who some reason ran after the Colonel. I'd like to point out that Aardvark is the first casualty of the group, and he's the only non-white one of the group, and he was the first to die. Yes. So, you know, Hollywood keeping up with the formula, <laughs> I say with air quotes. <laughs> yeah, as much as this was not a 80s B-movie, it was still an 80s movie. Or horror movie. Token non-white person died first. <laughs> Has to die first, I guess. Which, not true for the other side of the ball. <laughs> Plenty of South Americans going because they're the bad guys being led by the Russians. Is that where we left off with the tank incident? Uh-huh. And the funeral. Because we talked about how Danny was doing the eulogy. Yeah. For God to take them far away to a place where they could be little again and never be hurt. Yeah. From that funeral scene, we jumped to a exterior shot of Jed just sitting in the middle of a field, surrounded by the mountains of what can only assume is Colorado. And... Maddie comes walking up to him and he's whispers, you know, hey, what are you doing? And Jed goes, uh, why are you whispering? There's, there's nobody around. He's like, it's just so quiet. <laughs> I think everybody's been in that situation. Yeah. Where you're like in a, in a quiet spot in a serious moment. And even if there's a whole bunch of people around or if there's nobody around, it doesn't really seem to matter if it's a serious kind of moment, you feel like you should whisper. And that's kind of what the movie's trying to push through to you is this was this the death of Aardvark and the Colonel were very serious and very sobering moments for the kids because let's face it, outside of Jed, these are kids, and even Jed's, you know, a young adult. And this is kind of the wars finally it, it sort of became real to them over the course of time with the Colonel as he's kind of putting home the fact that there's been starvation in some of the cities. There's, you know, a front, an actual war going on. This band of Wolverines has had nothing but success. And now this mission was effectively a failure because they were trying to smuggle the Colonel out and they didn't succeed. He dies. And then one of their own band dies. And so this, the whole seriousness of what they're in, what they're up against is kind of pushing on them. So that's why you have this real silent, quiet moment with these whispers. And this is kind of like the maudlin part of the movie. This is the the dramatic part. You know, we've had a lot of action, a little bit of comedy, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. This is like the serious moment. This is that John Hughes moment, the teenage dramatic moment, because in this moment, Jed starts talking about like, you know, it's funny how the mountains pay no attention to you at all. You know, when, you know, you can laugh, you can cry and the wind just keeps on blowing. He asked uh, Maddie how everyone's taking it. And, you know, Maddie's like, they were all shooken up. And then Jed's like, oh, it was bound to happen. And Maddie's like, you're getting pretty lean on feelings, aren't you? He's like, you know, can't afford them. 
And like, you know, even even if it was me and, you know, just kind of this back and forth about, you know, how serious all of a sudden everything is because of the first loss, because all of a sudden it's real, you know, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was real when they lost their homes and then it wasn't real because they were kicking so much. Ass, they felt invin- invincible and now it's real again. Yeah. I really love the dialogue here because it's just very much it's kind of what what would go through your head, what would go through anybody's head in this moment. I'm like, you know, we were doing so well and now some of us have died. What's everybody else doing? What's everybody else feeling? And it's a very human thing to wonder about, like, where's my place in the tribe, in the group? And how is that going to play out, you know, if I die? And are people going to remember me on top of that? And and it's interesting, Jed's your viewpoint is kind of like the mountains don't care. Mm-hmm. We're fighting down here, laugh, cry, live or die, effectively, is what he's he's saying. They don't care. You know, they don't care if the commies are in charge or if America's in charge or the mountains are just the mountains and the wind's going to howl no matter what. Right. It's very much in a, an oblivion kind of a viewpoint. And then that's what Maddie brings up. The rest are talking about quitting that they lost their stomach for. And Jed asks, you know, what about you? And he goes, I'm your brother. I'm with you to the end. Just make it count. You start getting the sense now of win or lose, who's in it and who's not. After the dramatic talking scene with Jed and Maddie, another exterior shot with nobody in it, and the word's February. So we've moved into February. What did this start in? September? October? September. So it was like the beginning of the school year. Six months now. Yep. We moved into the coldest, darkest, shortest month of the year. Yep. Which is not technically true. Technically... You know, the darkest day happens somewhere in the end of December, early January time frame. But February is typically one of the coldest months of the year. So and it's dark. It's foreboding. So then we see the Soviets marching down the road with a new officer in front of them. Colonel Strelnikov. You can see he's the focus of attention now. You know, they're just doing the whole Soviet parade to show, you know, how awesome they are. And then everybody's just standing there at parade. And, you know, it's a whole bigger show thing. And then the next thing we see is they're in a, it's like a lecture hall, you know, like a conference room, lecture hall, whatever you want to call it. And the new colonel is giving this big old speech about how uh, the enemy, and he points to a picture. It, you know, he's got all these posters behind him. Now, one of them's got all the face of our heroes, pictures of our heroes on them. And then there's a picture of a wolverine. He points to wolverine. This is our enemy, you know, a ferocious small animal. Yep, yep. Uh, this, that, and the other thing. And um, you can't hunt an animal, you know, by killing its prey, you know. If a fox eats your chicken, you know, do you punish, you know, the, the coop? And, you know, he goes, no, you you draw out the the fox so you can kill it and you know this you know it requires a hunter and i am such a hunter <laughs> it's just basically telling them hey you've been you've been doing it wrong honkies <laughs> you've been doing it wrong you've been shooting the chickens when you should have been trying to go after the fox and you have not been hunting so I'm I'm gonna do this for y'all. I'm gonna get these wolverines. Basically says no more, you know, uh, reprisals against civilians. <laughs> and that that was stupid. <laughs> and the camera kind of focuses on the general and and the uh, uh, the other colonel. <laughs> you know, you can tell that the general's like somewhere between. All right, 
Say what you want. Somebody brought you here for a reason, but watch it, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I'll kill you later. I'll kill you later. <laughs> Silence. I kill you. I kill you. <laughs> kind of looks like him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Don't worry. i kill you later. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to remember the other colonel. What's he doing? He's just sitting there. Sitting there, you know, watching. <laughs> he wasn't insulted. <laughs> He's yeah, like, he was I, like, yeah, I told you. This was dumb. It's <laughs> <laughs> so stupid all along. <laughs> My whole hearts and minds comment before it got blown off. <laughs> uh, it didn't work for the Americans. Well, yeah, killing folks didn't work for us either. <laughs> the uh, next thing we see is a bunch of uh, ghosts marching through the... Uh, the forest, you know, holding AK-47s. No, no, wait, no, wait. Those are just uh, Soviet soldiers. That, yeah, sorry. No ghosts. <laughs> no ghosts in this movie. Um, <laughs> oh, ghosts! <laughs> no, no. oh, wait, wait, wait. And wait. so they're, they're, they're clearly hunting for our, our uh, heroes, and then one of them's got this little device in this little box with an antenna, and he's waving it around, and you hear it beeping. Yep. And you hear as he's be- as it's beeping, and they're moving, the beeping gets steadier and steadier, so clearly, you know, there's a tracker on one of our heroes, and they're, they're tracking him down. What's really funny is they come, like, they, they walk pa- right past our heroes in a couple of these positions, like, without seeing them. One of them is holding, like, this big machine gun that's got a white cloth or something wrapped around the barrel as if that's going to hide it, you know? <laughs> Even though it's really <laughs> propped up on, like, a, on a like tree trunk and whatnot. Yeah. Big white cloth. In the moonlight. Yeah, that's going to hide it. <laughs> but our heroes ambush, you know, the Russians start shooting them one by one. Maddie jumps in front of Erica, who's got the machine gun going. She stops and he jumps like right in front of her to throw a grenade from a prone position. Yeah. And then uh, Robert, you know, Robert also from laying down on his side, throwing a grenade, you know, real powerful throwing arms, you know, at this point. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's that's the <laughs> definite the throwing position you want to have both people. Feet planted in the ground, one behind the other. Thro- oh, wait, no, they're throwing it from the ground. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's terrible throwing throwing position. But it's good not getting shot position. So that's the that's the important detail. <laughs> yeah. Once the shooting stops and all the Russians are dead and none of our heroes are dead, they start going through them to see, you know, who's alive and who they got to, you know, coup de gras. And- yeah. It's a pretty gruesome... Um, when you get down to it, it's pretty gruesome because they haven't showed these kind of scenes in a lot of their, you know, what they've done. The, the, the very first kind of accidental ambush that they had, you know, up in the state or national park or whatever it was, where the Jed has to shoot the Russian in his while he's in his truck truck going for the radio. Mm-hmm. That's the closest thing you really get to this kind of scene where they're going through these people and oh nope this one's alive blam right <laughs> and and you can see kind of like where we've come from and where we've gotten to from hesitancy to kill a guy who is clearly going to do something that's going to result in my death if I don't kill him. And and the fact that I have to, to, ah, we only wounded this guy, whether or not he could survive for medical attention, we're going to kill him. (laughs) He doesn't pose a threat to me right now. He probably wouldn't pose a threat to me if I left him for dead. But no, we're going to kill him. <laughs> well, that and it's like, well, we're not going to carry him. I mean, 
you know? Well, yeah. I mean, that's the other piece. That's the other practicality of it in war when you think about prisoners, the concept of taking prisoners, or when you're a guerrilla unit, you really can't do, you can't offer those kind of terms because you're not a fighting or a standing army. You can't take prisoners. You can't hold prisoners. You're basically, your contact with the enemy is always going to be full-blown lethal because you you can't do anything else. You're not equipped for it. You can't support another person just to hold them in a cage or something. And even if you could do it, it'd be difficult to do it in the first place. Right. That's the other practicality of it is these guys have possibly found their position or they've gotten close enough that they need to get rid of them. And so they, amongst all of the fallen soldiers, they find one that was not touched at all and apparently decided not to fight back. <laughs> and Danny's got him pinned down against a tree holding the AK, you know, at him. Jed comes over and is like, hey, Danny, <laughs> your bolt is jammed open, man. Don't don't shoot. You'll just backfire, man. It's not going to do anything. Just don't do it. Danny's not responding. So this is just more of a the the light turned on for, for Danny. The, the red went right over his eyes and he's in kill mode. Yeah. You know, they take the one Russian guy hostage. And of course, one of the funnier moments that I'm sure wasn't fun. I mean, I'm absolutely sure people laughed at this because Erica, you know, they got the, the Russian soldier at, around the camp, you know, they're all trying to interrogate him. And Erica's like, spricken z toits. And Maddie goes, <laughs> so what if he does? You don't. <laughs> <laughs> It's <laughs> just one of those. Oh my god! Like, how would you not yeah. laugh at that moment? <laughs> yeah. So what if he does? You don't. <laughs> they're trying to interrogate him, and you know, Jed's threatening him. You know, I hear one chopper, and you're dead. And you know, the Russians defy. You know, go die, Yankee pig dogs. <laughs> and then, all the while, everyone's yelling, yelling, screaming, kicking this Russian kid. Maddie's uh, fool- fooling around with the box, and he finally gets it to turn on. He's like, hey, this thing's got an arrow on it, you know, and then the beeping starts and he goes, well, where's it pointing? And he starts pointing in one direction off uh, off to the right side of the screen. And you come to find out that it's coming from Daryl. 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 And so Jen's like, you know, where's the bug, Daryl? Where is it? And they're like, they made me swallow it. That's when, you know, everyone starts freaking out. Like, oh, what'd you do? What? We're all screwed here. And, uh, you know, Jen starts shaking. Go, Why did you do it? And he goes, I, or he goes, what happened? You know, and he's, he goes, I went and got in town and got caught. And you go, you went and got caught. Why did you go into town? He goes, because you said we couldn't. All of a sudden, you're back to like, you know, the very beginning when Daryl was doing things or at least being belligerent just because Jed, you know, was taking charge. <laughs> Daryl was like, he wanted to be in charge again and was going to be defiant against the current you know, reigning leadership. And this is something he did to sort of spit in Jed's eye that massively backfired on him because I don't know, maybe it was a good idea (laughs) not to go into town. Right. (laughs) There were good reasons. Doesn't he say something about visiting his father? Well, that he snuck back into into his town and his father turned him in. And then he also mentions, goes, you know, the things they did to me, you couldn't imagine. Yeah. So now the next scene is they're in the middle of a field again. And it's the Russian and Daryl standing next to, to each other on one side and the rest of the group on the other. And it's clearly like a shooting execution kind of setup. Is that's how the scene that's how the scene is set up. You, you right. Can, yeah. 
And, you know, Jed asks, do you want blindfolds? And, you know, the Russian goes, this violates the Geneva Convention. And Jed goes, I've never heard of it. (laughs) This is where you get to see lines being drawn here. There's a lot of arguing back and forth with Jed. You know, hey, you know, this isn't us. This isn't what we do. We're not like them. You got to let them go. Daryl was one of ours. And he, you know, Jed's like, and he turned on us. Robert was like, you know, and he turned on us. You know, they're traitors. And Maddie even argues with his brother. He goes, you know, tell me, what's the difference between us and them? And Jed turns, pulls out his revolver and says, because we live here. And he shoots the Russian Mm -hmm. and he goes to turn to shoot to Daryl. And you can see the hesitation. And then next thing you know, you hear an AK-47 fire off. And it was Daryl's shot. And it was from Robert's gun. Right. Daryl's dying. He reaches out for Robert and pulls his mask down and Robert's covered in Daryl's blood. I mean, this is guerrilla warfare, right? And they've had somebody who effectively was turned by the enemy, more or less, was made to do what the enemy wanted, which is to try and catch them. And it forces kind of a crisis within the group. Jed eventually doesn't seem to have much of a problem killing the Russian, even though the Russian is quote unquote not a combatant. Although he's still part of an occupying force. So whether or not it violates the Geneva Convention, you got me. <laughs> but it's, it's more understandable why Jed would not be as trigger shy about killing the Russian, even though it's more or less an execution instead of a combat action. Daryl, on the other hand, it's a big deal, right? Right, because he was there from the beginning. Right or wrong, friends or not, they were in it together. They killed together. They fought together. They hid together. They did everything together up until that point. Yeah, it does present a real clear question mark about Jed's leadership. This person in as part of his group defied his orders, got caught, was tortured, was made to swallow a tracker, and then brought an attempted Russian ambush on them, which I don't know why they didn't do it during the day. (laughs) You would do something (laughs) like this at night. I don't know. So that's probably a stupidness on the Russian part because the cover always benefits the, the smaller group, especially darkness. But it's a real question mark about, okay, well, Daryl has now like fully gone against Jed's leadership, his commands, and the whole group paid the price for it. And so there's not just the vengeance betrayal portion of it. There is now a justice piece of it. And, you know, we don't do combat justice anymore. Like they did all the way up until world war two, basically world war one was kind of the last of that, but it was still regular practice in world war one. If you had defectors of any kind, you would hunt them down and shoot them. Right. It was a killable offense. And Every war in history, every army, doesn't matter what side of the war, did this. Like, you can go back and find the records of of the people that George Washington put the firing squad because they defected, both when he was a British lieutenant and colonel, and then when he was uh, in the, you know, when he was the general of the American forces. And so this kind of thing is part of, you know, the military. These days, you know, going AWOL and stuff in our military is a lot, is dealt with a little differently. Um, I'm sure in the field, things can get probably pretty crazy. But up until very, very recent times, you know, killing people for defecting was was just the normal course of business. And this would have been flat out a killable offense, especially given that they're guerrillas. Again, going back to keeping prisoners, they don't really have the ability to keep this guy a prisoner, especially now that they've been 
you know, found out possibly where their base was. Right. In particular with Daryl, it's, you know, the question, keep him alive. Sure. But what's he going to tell him? I mean, how much can he tell them? At this point, are you really willing to risk it? Yeah. It's interesting because in the end, Jed doesn't want to kill him. Right. He just doesn't. Right. And he kind of makes the decision not to. And then Robert makes it for him. Right. Robert's all about killing anybody that he sees as an enemy. It doesn't matter. Good, bad, whatever. U.S. Soviet. He sees somebody that is bad. I mean, it's black and white, good and bad, and he's going to kill the bad. Yeah. You know, this is sort of the evolution of Jed as a leader within another crisis situation. And then also of Robert as a, as his sort of descent into this, this place where he's gone from, you know, the somewhat timid fighter all the way to I'm covered in my former, you know, former classmates blood. Right. After I've gunned, after I've gunned him down, it's a very harrowing scene, especially juxtaposition against the earlier scenes in the movie. And as they're riding off, I mean, Robert says he told them where we were. Yeah. He's trying to justify it to them because in the back of his head, that's slowly yelling to the front. You messed up. That was really horrible. What were you thinking? And he feels that that's the judgment of everybody else, too. So, you know, he's trying to get it, justify it. Right. But then at the same time, nobody else is saying it because everybody's like, well, now we don't have a problem. It's done. Yeah, exactly. You know, we didn't do it. We didn't want it to happen, but it's done now. Well, it's probably a good bit of fear, too, because it's done. And God only knows, you know, who's going to get shot next if we keep fighting. Mm -hmm. There has to be a little bit of that fear. Because now they're down, too. Yeah. And that's kind of the going forward from the tank engagement. You have a loss of life at at least one at every battle going forward. And this is sort of the general attrition in a group of guerrilla fighters, especially now that they're under the gun, right? Now that they have an actual hunter who's coming after them instead of attempted reprisals against the civilian population (laughs) to try and convince them to stop. Right. So they all ride off from there, leaving the Russian and Daryl just lying in the field to, you know, be dead. Yeah. And then the next scene we see is Jed sitting in the woods on the side of a hill by himself. And you can tell that now he's starting to break down. Now the, the human part of him starting to come out and he's by himself so that the others can't see him. You know, the weight of command, the weight of being the leader. No one else can see him cry because that doesn't inspire leadership. But at some point you hit your limit and this is his at the moment. And he pulls out a photo. And I can't tell if it's him and Daryl or if it's him and Maddie. I think it's him and Maddie. Yeah, I think it's him and Maddie. I mean, that's the only one that really seems to make sense. But he's looking at that picture, thinking about how young he was and how much of a kid and how innocent he was and how much he'd love to go back to those days. And then he just breaks down crying. I mean, in a lot of ways, he's probably thinking through, you know, what his parents said, keeping Maddie safe. And what his dad said about, you know, no more crying. I don't ever want to see you cry. Not not so long as you ever, you know, live. Yeah. And all of that sort of coming down on him. Mm-hmm. And they had to look after each other. Right. So then I guess they're keeping moving to the east because now they're in a completely different terrain. They're not in the woods whatsoever. It's more or less like a desert, you know, with canyons and valleys and things like that. No snow on the ground whatsoever. You see some on a little bit of the hillside. And then you pan down to Jed looking through binoculars while laying down on a rock. And he's looking down at the highway as a convoy passing through the area. 
And as they're watching it, the convoy is stopped. I'm guessing to inspect cargo and get directions of where they're going, what they're doing, yada, yada. Because convoys, for whatever reason, decide to just stop in the middle of nowhere for no reason. <laughs> yep, that happens all the time. <laughs> Especially in action movies. And it looks like our group's ready to ambush them again. And then the convoy starts rolling. And from one of the tarped over trucks falls a cardboard box and it's full of food two of them actually and so jed's like wait 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 stop and he sees it and he's like hey looks like food somebody go check it out and he sends tori jennifer gray down <laughs> she just strolls up to the the road like as if she was out for an afternoon stroll in the park or something you know she's looking around yeah but it's just this casual like a be casual kind of kind of walk to it <laughs> do the whistle and everything yeah you know looking around you know she goes to look at the food and i'll just start shoveling food and you know motioning for the guys to uh come and get it and so then he motions to the rest you know all right go ahead go down there and grab what you can and they take it back to their hide their new hiding place amongst the rocks <laughs> and as they're sitting there eating it's this quiet peaceful moment tori is like eating an orange with one hand and then with the other, she's got another orange and she's squeezing it on top of Jed's head, you know, just playful, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, what the hell? <laughs> and then next thing you know, she's like, Hey, quiet, 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 quiet. And you hear what sounds like a chopper. And because it's a Canyon, you can't tell where it's coming from. And you get that sense because the camera starts panning and, you know, quick flashes in all these different directions. Like the sound surround, the sound is like all around them. Then they see, the Soviet helicopter coming off in the distance. And as it's bearing down on them, it starts shooting at them and it hits Tori square in the chest and they all scatter. And it's this great big, you know, Soviet hind helicopter. And if you don't know what a hind helicopter, pretty much a flying tank, like almost literally a flying tank, <laughs> big boxy flying tank. That's the best way to put it. Lots of guns, lots of rockets. <laughs> it's got like two pilots and four co-pilots. <laughs> And it's this big, heavy helicopter that just defies engineering. Yeah, it's a good way to put it. So, yeah, Tori shot. Jed drags her, you know, off with them to on a horse. And they're trying to uh, evade them. And now all of a sudden there's two of them. And here they are on horses trying to outrun or hide from helicopters in this canyon, which not really possible. Yeah. Not really working out. <laughs> yeah, like you said, in general, not really possible. As they're going around, uh, the helicopter shoots the horse that uh, Robert's on. He falls up, gets up, sees the helicopter coming at him, puts his uh, baklava over his over his face. Baklava. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, baklava is a dessert. <laughs> baklava is the thing you put over your nose. They should have been more original. <laughs> okay. Fine. <laughs> I'm telling a story here. <laughs> yeah, I know you are, and I'm correcting you. You're welcome. <laughs> I know. You're welcome. <laughs> Derail this conversation. Or dehorsed. I dehorsed this conversation. <laughs> As the helicopter is bearing down on Robert and he gets the RPG, the, the bazooka, the rocket launcher out and he shoots it right into the passenger area of the helicopter and 
nothing happens. Like he thinks he he got the winning shot, you know, like, you know, it's going to blow up now. Nothing happens. It just turns and keeps coming at him. Yeah. Like we said, it's a tank. It's a tank on helicopter blades. And that's when he pulls his balaclava. There you go. Good job. You jerk. <laughs> Proud of you, Bruce. And puts it up over his nose and then gets his gun out and starts shooting at it, you know, doing the war cry thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of the Russian soldiers dropped out of the helicopter when he fired at it with the rocket launcher. I missed that part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there, he does a little damage, but not, not enough to bring it no, down. No, it doesn't even slow it down. So then, you know, it's the, the death stand, you know, he yells, and, you know, yelling Wolverines and shooting it at his, with the AK-47 that's going to do nothing. And then the thing just absolutely obliterates Robert. So Robert's no longer with the group. Tori, who's gotten shot up so far, is not necessarily dead, but she's been shot up. And then Robert now, who's almost certainly dead. Right. Tori falls off. Jed had picked Tori up and was riding with her on his back on the horse, and she ends up falling off. And so he goes back and he drags her underneath a, a tree. And he's like, you know, come on, we gotta go, we gotta go. She's like, no, I can't make it, I can't make it. You gotta go on without me. And she said, you know, please, Jed, I don't want to die cold. And so he hands her a grenade. Yeah. And you know, puts it in her hand, has her hold the the plunger, pulls the pin, just you know, has her hold on to it. Well, first she asked him to shoot him. You know, she didn't want to be captured. She didn't want the Russians to do it. She wanted Jed to do it. And Yeah. I don't want to be captured. Shoot me effectively. And he's like, yeah, I can't do that. I can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> she asked him for a grenade. You know, she doesn't want to die cold. And so he gives it to her and then he rides off. That's when we see the helicopters land and some of the, the Russian soldiers come out and they find Tori. She's already dead. But then when they go to move her body, the grenade falls out from underneath her and boom, you know, like it was a booby trap. Really? Yeah. A booby trap. Yep. That's when the hunter Russian colonel hears it, turns and just realizes that they got two of the Wolverines and it cost him a couple of guys. But, oh, you know, when he gets out to uh, talk, one of the subordinate Russian guys is like, I would say that we, you know, he's like, how many did you see us kill? And he goes, I would say 12. <laughs> 12, right? You'd agree. He goes, I counted two. <laughs> two. <laughs> yeah, two. You know, he's like, 12? <laughs> Come on, man. I saw, oh, in fact, he actually said, I only saw one. I only saw one, and then the explosion happens, and it's like, yeah, there's a second one, but <laughs> so now there's two less, and we're left with Jed, Maddie, Erica, and Danny. Danny, yep. So this, you know, the way this plays out, they've effectively been flushed from their hiding spot, right? Because they don't know what Daryl told them. They know they had a tracking device on Daryl. They got so close to the base on the night raid, they don't know if they know where the rest of the base is, so they've got to flee. And so they fled to this canyon kind of area. And you get kind of brought into this concept that there was an ambush. You know, that the boxes of food fell off the truck in order to spot them, to track them back to a certain area so that the helicopters could go after them. Honestly, that's pretty thin <laughs> to me. Um, I know that's how it's set up in the movie. There's a little bit of I believe button going on there because the fact of the matter is they moved on, right? So if you're the hunter, how do you know where they went, right? Are you just dropping food boxes all over the roads everywhere? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how, how do you end up getting these folks? 
at this one particular road place spot. Yeah. You know, how do you, how do you find them from this? And then on top of that, how are you tracking them? Like, like, was there something in the box that was a tracking device? And if so, how come the kids didn't find it? I mean, they're not dumb. Like they just, listen, you're missing the important part here. Robert and Tony are dead. Yeah, I, I know. I'm just that's what's important. Look, I am critiquing this part of the <laughs> I mean, movie. They killed Robert and Tony. I mean, those bastards. <laughs> I know they're bastards. They're really what, why, why are we talking about the boxes? Really lucky, lucky bastards. That's all I'm saying is the amount of luck it took them to be bastards. <laughs> Was very high. This is a highly sophisticated movie, Pat. We don't need to be nitpicking it like this. I bet you differ, sir. <laughs> I bet you differ greatly. I'm going to nitpick the ever. And the funny part is, we haven't had to get this nitpicky with this movie very often. I know. Which, given the budget and everything, you you're, it's really surprising, you know? But this is pretty shoestring. <laughs> this is kind of like, I don't really see how these have, I mean, I see what you're going for in showing me these events in sequence, but having them being consequential of each other, I, yeah, whatever. Okay, sure. Well, it's just like when they uh, drew the lines of combat, you know, the front lines, you know, where the Russians invaded and, you know, where yeah. where everything's divided up. You're like, you know, if I actually drew a map of this, this makes no sense. No sense. Yeah. <laughs> None at all. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yes, the result of the action is effectively we have moved in sort of into what I would call the last stand moments. Mm-hmm. Right? We have the last stands of Robert and Tori. The last stand of Robert being, you know, going down shooting. The last stand of Tori being booby trapping and blowing some guys up who, after they've shot her. And... Jed's force has been reduced down yet again to four. Yeah. And he's lost one of his two fanatics, you know, Robert. Uh-huh. He's still got Erica. But at this point, Danny and Matt have to be thinking to themselves, I mean, it's over, right? Like, we, we there's nothing else we could do. And so this going into the next series of scenes is is very interesting because it's sort of like everybody's coming to terms with the fact that every action they've taken since the final, you know, action with the colonel has resulted in the death of their their group and so their group isn't There's a steady decline since that day. Yes. Right. And they're just it doesn't seem like they're going to be around much longer. So yeah, big kind of last stand moment for two of the characters. You sort of get the closing of Robert's arc. You know, I'll die fighting. And the closing of, of Tori's arc, which is more sad, because what she was in almost every instance was bait. Uh-huh. You know, she was some kind of bait, or, or when she went in and put the bomb in in the city, or when she was, you know, had the basket. Yeah, she was the infiltrator. And that's exactly how she went out, right? Uh-huh. She was bait, and she blew up some guys. <laughs> Even in death, she was still acting as the infiltrator and the bait. She was the spy in the group. Right. But then you're down to Jed and Maddie and Danny and, was it Erica? Erica. Yep, Erica. And so the question mark is, like, where do they go from here? Right. You know, I, I got to say on a side note, uh, you know, the Soviets as a people were, were real bastards, but man, did they know how to make war machines. 
when you think about the stuff that they built, the tanks and the hind helicopters, which are these flying tanks, basically, like they had to be, you know, with all the armor that was on them and all the guns and rockets had to be, I can't imagine how long it would take to get that thing off the ground. You know, things like the largest submarine in the world is still the Kula class, the Typhoon submarine. Granted, they they went bankrupt making those. Money's no object, but (laughs) it turns out that it was. (laughs) That's how we bankrupted them. (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll just keep spending more. Suckers. (laughs) You just look at those things and how that thing took a a rock and it was just like, yeah, yeah, nobody cares. (laughs) Yeah, it just took an RPG. Yeah, whatever. (laughs) I gotta say, though, it was like it's so funny on how the victories were celebrated so much in this movie with, you know, the targets being so little in the most respects, except for the drive-in, you know, um, uh, re-education. Yeah, the big raid. Yeah, the big raid. Yep. And then, like, all of a sudden, like, the defeats were just these huge defeats. Just went up a small hill and went down a freaking cliff. <laughs> yeah. Well, and and that's the thing about a guerrilla warfare unit is, you know, the best you can accomplish are relatively small things because you don't have the armament or the, the whatever it is you need the ordinance to really, really big things uh-huh. or, you know, the infiltration ability or whatever. You don't have the support you need to do really, really big things. So you get small successes, but then attrition rate on a guerrilla unit is always high. Right. You're always losing people. And every person you lose in a guerrilla unit is a huge blow to the unit. Right. All the way to the point where you get to a point where it's like, well, we can't, we're not sustainable anymore. Like if we take any more action, it's going to cost all of us our lives because there's just not enough of us to do it. Like we, we can't even make the small gains. I think it's, it's very true to life. This movie And it's not, you know, if we had a movie similar to this in the modern age, they would all have to be, they'd win in the end. Somehow there would be a big win in the end. It's just like Pearl Harbor, the movie had to have that terrible bombing run we did on (laughs) on the Japanese mainland. (laughs) The Doolittle Raid, right. Yeah, the Doolittle Raid had to have that at the end as a feel good thing. And I'm like, no, if you wanted to do it as a feel good thing, you should have two movies back to back. You know, Pearl Harbor, Harbor and then Midway. Midway. Right. Yeah, Midway's the feel-good movie. Midway's <laughs> right. the suck it, we sunk four of your carriers. <laughs> Not you the Hail uh, <laughs> Mary pass that did almost nothing. <laughs> Versus Midway, which was like, well, Japan was going to lose anyways, given enough time, but now they're going to lose a lot sooner. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we're finally coming to the end, folks. Uh, we just got a little bit left. We want to make sure we do the, the last scene, because the last scene is the most uh, action-packed and Mm-hmm. It culminates all of the the buildup here from our heroes and what they fought for and the brave rush. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but and and we see the full the full arc of um, Colonel Montego. I'm sure that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> Montego, Montego. And where is that name from? And, 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 I don't know. Colonel Montego. Where did I make that up from? Where did I pull that from? I feel like I made that up. <laughs> Colonel, Colonel Bella, Colonel Bella, Colonel Ernesto Bella. There you go. Yep. So we get his full arc coming to a head too, and the and the talk about that. But yep, yep. That's where we leave you for the night. Yep. 
So uh, thank you for listening, folks. We do appreciate it. Remember, we have a website, patthefatman.com, as well as Facebook page, Pat the Fat Man. We've got a Twitter. We've got an email, patthefatman at gmail.com. I think we're on Instagram now. Yep, we're on Instagram. Woo! We're on Instagram. And we have a YouTube channel. So if you want to go see the sports ball episodes raw and unedited, you can go watch those on our YouTube channel, Pat and the Fat Man. Uh, remember to like, subscribe, and hit the bell because apparently all those are good things. So and the more you do it, the more we, we get served to other people and the bigger the podcast grows. Tell your friends about us. Share us on social media. Share us on, on social media. I don't know what that is, but share us. <laughs> and uh, if you feel like it's, you know, maybe worth a dollar or or more uh, a month, consider contributing to our Patreon. You can go to the website, patthefatman.com, and click on the Patreon button and become a patron and get access to our exclusive Patreon-only episodes, as well as being able to, to make suggestions on what we review next. So we love our patrons, and uh, we like giving them some amount of control over what we say and do. And we like paying our editor. So yes. we appreciate uh, all the listeners. I know the listenership has grown quite a bit. So thank you all for listening to us. Uh, remember, folks, that uh, if you can't give us money, someone you know probably can. And when we get money, you get swag. So uh, just keep spreading the word, likes, even dislikes. You know, say say something. We don't care. We don't got no shame. We got no feelings. I mean, you know. <laughs> I mean, that's true. <laughs> you know so just as long as you share it and let us know that you're out there listening we do appreciate uh remember if you rate us so if you do listen to the podcast we do appreciate rating us especially rating us highly in the podcast server of your choice that way it uh, the algorithms offer us to more people and we do appreciate that and uh, I don't know what kind of swag Bruce is talking about. We don't have any swag yet. But yet. we are working on t-shirt ideas. <laughs> yeah. T-shirt and coffee mug ideas. So there could be swag coming. It'll be on the website. And I think that's all we got. So I'm Pat. I'm the fat man. Stay classy. Wolverines. Wolverines.